Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Eureka, the show that gets under the skin of science in a good way as we invite a new expert every week to help us answer one of science's most interesting questions. I'm Rick Edwards. And I'm Dr. Michael Brooks. So amazingly, it's your turn to teach me something. Whose expertise have you called on today? Uh, Mine, actually. Sacking off the experts? Yes. Yeah, of course. Incredible arrogance. (laughs) Well, you know, sometimes you just know you've got what it takes, basically. So uh, Mm. I decided we're going to do something for World Religion Day. And you're the expert for this. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Bear with me. Uh, It's the third Sunday in January, and it's all about understanding between religions and faith systems. Okay, so I'm going to make just a, a quick point here. I'm not an expert on religion. You're not an expert on religion. Where do we go from here? Well, you'll like this. I think it's time we redefined maths as a religion. Basically, this week we're going to be asking, is maths actually the best religion of all? I've got two thoughts, really. Firstly, I'm immediately on board. (laughs) Secondly, I think you might have broken the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) This is stretching things too far. Maybe. Well, Well, let's let's see. see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we both agree that maths is extraordinary. Yes, gives us insight into a hidden world full of fascinating, awe-inspiring insights. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And so if you look at it the right way, it's kind of a religious experience. (laughs) How are we defining religious experience? Just you sort of feel like... That sense of awe Mm. you get from like Mm -hmm. dealing with numbers Mm -hmm. and, and like, oh, look at, you know, like pi. We'll get into pi and infinity... And the strange relationships between that and imaginary yeah, numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. And I, sometimes I think just lots being of like mathematicians blown, feel like, blown like it's away a, yeah. by the kind of what appears to be like the intrinsic beauty yeah. of the proof that you've just done. Exactly. And and the way that just stuff will just drop out perfectly from something incredibly complicated. Yeah. And then you get to the end and you're like, ah. It makes you want to sing a hymn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'm buying this. Religions come in all shapes and sizes. There's the well-known ones like Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism. But some people prefer their religion a little more, shall we say, eclectic. There's Jediism, for example. That's a religion based on the observance of the Force, a ubiquitous and metaphysical power that a Jedi, a follower of Jediism, believes to be the underlying fundamental nature of the universe. 
Many mathematicians believe that the world of numbers has a ubiquitous and metaphysical power too, so can we consider maths a religion? It certainly has many of the attributes we associate with religion. It inspires awe and wonder among its devotees. It unites people in an effort to improve our understanding of the universe. It even has historical figures that we might think of as mathematical saints, people who were devoted to the subject in ways that made them sometimes sacrifice their own well-being in their pursuit of mathematical insight. What's more, maths has done a lot of good in the world and has few, if any, of the negative effects of many of the world's other religions. So that's why this week we're asking, is maths the best religion? Okay, so basically we're going to spend the next uh, 30 minutes or so extolling the virtues of maths and then uh, threaten to kill anyone who doesn't share our beliefs. <laughs> that's, that's sort of religion, isn't it? <laughs> that's your view of religion. Yeah, yeah. That's what religious people do. Yeah. Uh, not exactly, because I think I have to start off by actually making the case that, that maths is a religion. Okay. Uh, so what do you think of when you think of religion? Uh, st- stuff that's made up. Exactly. To explain things? Maths is is basically made up. So so maths isn't provably true. So this is the mm. whole thing where everything in maths mm. is built on these things called axioms. Yeah. So whatever branch of maths you're in, you have a set of axioms, yeah. which are assumptions about the fact that something is the case. So like uh like that one plus one equals two. So you I, know, I remember doing the, the, the proof of that in my first year at university and being like, are we definitely doing this? And actually, it's quite interesting. It is and it quite is, interesting. You have to yeah, do it from the axioms that you've yeah. decided about your about your number system. Yeah, and the axioms are just like arbitrary assumptions, effectively. Pretty much, yeah. But they're based okay, on there's observation. There's rule, there's a blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I have one apple and then one apple, and that makes two apples. And then I do the same with bananas, and I get two bananas. So this concept of one and one being this two... looks consistent. It sort of it looks like it generalises quite nicely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you never know whether you're going to get the sort of outlier where one and one isn't two. Oh, no, but once you've agreed your axiom, yeah. then you do, don't you? You, well, you, you do once you agree the axiom, but the mm. axiom is the thing that you're just assuming. Yes, okay. and this is true across all branches of mathematics. So, yeah. in, in geometry, there's the axiom that that on a, a, a flat plane, two parallel lines will never meet, mm-hmm. uh, or that you can draw a line through any arbitrary point on a plane, and you know, just sort of there's various axioms, and they sound all quite boring, but they are all just but they create everything. And they yeah. create everything. Mm. And then when people try to sort of create a more solid foundation at the sort of end of the 19th century, um, along came Kurt Gödel with his incompleteness theorems yes. and showed that it couldn't be done. Mm. That maths would always be based on things that were not provably true. Mm. And whatever system you build, and it's all self-contained and it all works within itself but it's always built on something that you you're basically just assuming to be true. So that was, and that was in the sort of 1930s and you mm. basically ruined everything for I mean David Hilbert who was like the the top mathematician in the world at the time had just sort of laid out all these like 21 questions maths is going to solve this solve that and Gödel came along with his incompleteness theories. Hilbert was furious. Mm. He was fuming. Because it was almost like somebody come along and say, you know, God isn't real. That's all bollocks mate. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. You'd take your spaces somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so basically, I, I would say, you know, it's sort of not provably true. So that means that you, you require faith then. You need to it have does, faith in your it, axioms. It's, it's faith in your axioms. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, that, that, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but the other thing as well is that that thing we talked about, that sense of awe and otherworldliness, mm-hmm. right? And religions have that in spades, don't they? Yeah. You know, God is everywhere. Yeah, God is yeah, three yeah. in one, uh, born of a virgin, that kind of thing. And, you know, it's very easy for people like us to say, mm, mm, probably not. Probably yeah. not. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard a vicar actually say, yeah, Mary probably wasn't a virgin. Uh, I was really shocked. I was like, you can't just say that. Stick to your story, mate. Yeah, yeah. And then he said it was probably the result of a rape by a Roman soldier. I was like, you're not, I mean, you've not just broken this story. That's not good. No, no. I thought that that was terrible. That's too far. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's true. Yeah, so, um, but we, you know, we have things in mathematics that evoke wonder Mm. and i'm not sure they stand up to like as much scrutiny as they should maybe so you know so if i'm sort of taking off my you know i'm a religious mathematical religious fanatic Mm -hmm. and i love pi and the fact that it crops up in unexpected Mm -hmm. places Mm -hmm. and i love infinity and i love prime numbers and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff i can actually sort of you know step outside of myself in some ways and say yeah it's just numbers mate you know calm down well yeah, but then you look at something like Pi, which just keeps cropping up, yes. sort of in places you wouldn't necessarily expect it. And that makes you feel like there's something special there, doesn't it? I know. Uh, because it, why? I know it does. Because we can't really explain But why. I don't think it's acceptable to not dig down into that. And everything mm. I've ever dug down into with Pi, I've sort of, yeah, I'm not a mathematician, so I can't like do everything. But I sort of feel like, well, you know, that would crop up there really because uh, that's something that deals with rotation. Mm. And, and it's effectively describing something moving in a repeated cycle, which is like a circle. And we yeah. know that Pi is part of circles. Mm. So it's not that astonishing really mm. so I and mean, I hate to sort of do this but like I've heard um, Matt Parker talk about the fact that um, uh, he said uh, pi crops up in when you're working out um, the probability of two numbers being co-prime in that they've got uh, the only number that divides them is one yeah so yeah. like eight and nine are co-prime yeah. numbers mm-hmm. the only number that divides them is one and the um probability that any two randomly chosen integers are co-prime is six over pi squared. I hadn't heard that, and that's brilliant. Why? Well, so when Matt Parker talked about it, and I love Matt Parker, I'm not dissing him at all, Mm -hmm. um, he said, you know, this is amazing. You know, we get pi cropping up in these unexpected places. It's just one of the joys of of maths. But actually, when I dug down into this, and you look at the the formula for how you work all this out, you end up with uh, your summed geometric series. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. So, so you you basically you know have this sort of set of you know one over n plus one over n squared or whatever. It's not that, but you know yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. But like going on for infinity, mm-hmm. and then you get pi out of that. Well, the reason for that, I think, and I might be wrong, and you know, if you're a mathematician, get in touch. Is that when you do a sum of a geometric series, you always involve pi because the the way of solving it involves. Um, moving around a circle where the y-axis is imaginary numbers and the x-axis is normal numbers and the pi is two pi radians so around doing, the circle. Yeah, yeah. So you can kind of see that actually when you're solving a geometric series, you're always going to end up with something that has an expression of pi in it. Mm. And when you try and work out the probability of two co-prime numbers, 
to numbers being co-prime, you involved a geometric series. So I'm just sort of unweaving the rainbow on that and saying it's not, maybe it's not that surprising, but I like the fact that it feels surprising. So I'm just going to live with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, at some point, I guess the discussion is around whether maths is a creation of ours or whether it is a, a sort of intrinsic property. Yeah. And I don't think there's sort of agreement on this really, is there? There isn't. No. And and but I think partly mathematicians just like the idea that it's it's a discovery thing. So, that, mm. so they're discovering these amazing truths. And you know, I've seen Marcus de Soitoy talking about the the kind of you know amazing feeling you get when you stumble across a mathematical insight or math, like he's you know exploring unknown territory and he's just you know managed to get to this point where he's found this amazing thing. And and that's when of, someone first explained uh, small and big infinities to me. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, infinity is another great one, isn't it? Because yeah. that directly correlates to religion. I mean, religion's always yes. on about the infinite and yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. all the mysteries of the infinite, and and that's how you kind of trap people into thinking you're you're you know really quite profound. Mm-hmm. And math does the same kind of thing, and it's like you know there is infinity, and that sort of blows your mind when you're six or seven years old and you're in the yeah. playground, like what's the biggest number you know. And you, you know you can always yeah, add a one million, to it. A million plus one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. classic. Absolutely classic. It's a classic. And then you discover that there are different types of infinities, mm. and some are bigger than others. Like the, the the let me see if I get this right. But the, there's the number of like odd numbers and even numbers are the mm. same. Mm. They're both in, infinite. But the number of real numbers, which includes all the numbers in between, sort of the integers. Yeah. That's big. That's a bigger infinity. Yeah, yeah, because the the integers are a countable infinity. Yeah, um, and the real numbers are an uncountable, un- uncountable. Yeah, so it's so a much bigger infinity. And actually, the sort of the, the the best way anyone ever described that to me was just imagine that you're trying to do the positive real numbers, um, and you say, okay, what no, where, where do you start? What, what's your first? Oh, positive real numbers. Positive real numbers. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Because yeah. you, like, you can oh. go, not point, no, 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 yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 I mean, he's a Platonist, so he effectively sort of has this idea that we discover these sort of mathematical things that exist out there, right? So so he would say things like, you know, the dodecahedron, mm-hmm. it sort of has always existed effectively, even before we put a name on it, mm-hmm. as a concept. Mm-hmm. And then we've sort of discovered it as a concept. Mm-hmm. And this is very, uh, like, Aristotle did this kind of stuff, and and and... Uh, I think it was Aristotle who said, oh, you know, the, the God sort of built the universe on a dodecahedron sort of model kind of thing. And um, this is very sort of ancient Greeks are very into this kind of idea. So so the Pythagoreans, they used to like go to work every day, like thinking about maths. And they'd enter through this arch that said all is number above it. Because they nice. Put- <laughs> really nice. We've got our religion slogan. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, 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 been, it's yeah. been done a long time ago. And, yeah. this is, and the idea is that everything can be broken down into, into numbers. But for the, for the ancient Greeks, for the Pythagoreans, that was the integers. And they thought the integers were everything. So they were like, mm-hmm. you know, one, two, three are great. Um, and if you can write them as a fraction, like one over two, that's good. Um, if you can write them as, you know, three over four, great. And then somebody pointed out that if you have a square of side one, 
the length of the diagonal is root two, which you cannot write as a fraction. It's an irrational number. Nightmare. As in, there's no ratio yeah. that, yeah, that yeah, the yeah. two number two integers that describes it. And they basically shut this guy down. I mean, it's you know the legend is that they took him out to sea and they drowned him in case in case he told anyone. <laughs> and they sort of you know keep this sort of irrational number secret. And of course, pi is an irrational number, and you need to use that if you're building like temples with circles in or anything like that. Yeah. So it's a bit of a problem to sort of shut down all the irrational numbers, and it, it you know it got them into huge trouble with zero. And yeah. like they couldn't like countenance the idea of, of there being a zero because it wasn't one of their sacred integers kind of thing. So there are problems with sort of making a religion out of this kind of thing. But at the same time, you know, it's a nice way to live, to think that you're, as a mathematician, sort of discovering this sort of hidden world. It's a bit like being a theologian. It's like I'm, mm. I'm sort of trying to unravel the mysteries of God. So I suppose, that, you know, ultimately... It's about whether the structure of the universe is mathematical or our best approximation of the structure of the universe uses maths that we've created and we're just sort of fitting it on and it fits nicely. What do you think? I actually don't know. I find it a really hard question. to. I've thought about it quite a lot and I think I oscillate. Do you? Yeah. I mean, I, I have been of the opinion since I wrote this book, The Maths That yeah. Made Us, the yeah. great you know my my great work on on, great time. Yeah. on on the on the maths and and how it's applied to civilization mm-hmm. i when i was writing it i thought right i'm debunking all of these myths mm. you know i'm not going to tolerate the idea of you know cuz cuz people make maths out into being like something that's like mysterious and like you know and and you get all these youtube videos about um oh how amazing the natural logarithm e is mm. and it crops up everywhere and it's just like this weird number that you know shouldn't really sort of have such significance mm-hmm. and i thought you know this is just creating a sense of you know priesthood and you know it's like we know all the secrets and you you don't know them and it puts people off math so I, I kind of wanted to debunk that but I still found myself like going no way yeah and like wanting yeah. to go get into it and yeah and and then like with the quantum physics side of it as well trying to sort of you know see how that works because that is purely mathematical theory right quantum physics is mathematical it's got pi in it and and you sort of think, why has it got pi in it? And and you realise, oh, there must be some something in the description that's basically about things going in circles. Well, it's a it's a, it's a wave function. Yeah, it's, it's a, so, so it's a wave. So you've got yeah. these cycles of of yeah. of, um, of behaviour. So so you describe everything as a wave, and therefore you can just break it down into repeating cycles of yeah. sine waves mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you're like, oh, okay, you know, we've got that in there. And then you've got i in um, quantum theory as well, the, the imaginary number, yeah. the square root of minus one is yeah. there. In quantum theory, it doesn't work without it. And people have even done experiments showing now, like, like last year or, or the year before, there were experiments showing that if you had construct quantum theory without the imaginary number, the square root of minus one, which doesn't really exist mm. in our world, you can't do quantum physics. It doesn't work. It doesn't describe how an atom well, is. Well, that's true of loads of uh, sort of engineering problems. Yeah, as well. so, like so you so could solve lots of engineering yeah, yeah. problems. But, like I mean, fluid it's how, dynamics. With it's that. how we made all these sort of yeah. electronics is, yeah. is using the imaginary number as a way of sort of shorthanding all the cosine and sine stuff of, of oscillations. This is the thing that I've wrestled with, and I'm sure you'll you'll have a view. We have this sort of we have the real numbers, and then we have the imaginary numbers. Yeah. Um, are imaginary numbers any more or less imaginary than the real numbers? No, no. I so don't think they are. This is the worst name in the world. They shouldn't mm. be called imaginary numbers, right? Because actually all it is is you've got the set of real numbers which describes how many apples you've got yeah. or whatever. 
But that's not enough to describe everything in the universe. So if you want to describe some of the processes of, of physics... Which I do. Which you do. You actually need another set of numbers, called, you know, which we know as the imaginary numbers. And you have to have a kind of two-dimensional number, which has these real and imaginaries together. You put them together and you do maths with them like you do mm. with a normal number. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you can do a whole load of new things that are really useful, including quantum physics. Yeah. And so... And oh, you, so can you, act, can, you can you can actually have four dimensions, dimensions as you like. No, you can only do it in eight. So you can have eight dimensions of of numbers. So this is the octonium. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so the imaginary number gives us two dimensions because you've got imaginary yeah. and real. And then you've got a thing called the quaternions where you've got four dimensions of numbers. Yeah. And that works. And you can do like normal maths in that. And then you can do normal maths with an eight dimensional number system. And after that, everything's broken. Like one plus one doesn't equal two effectively. So, so you can't do it with any other, any more numbers than just the octonians, which is an amazing discovery. Mm. And again, it's the kind of thing that makes you go, "Wow!" Yeah, and 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 I want to ask why. Yeah, and, and actually, that is, I guess, those kind of things are what make me think these must be intrinsic, like the mathematical properties, properties. must be intrinsic. Yeah. So, so Max Tegmark, the physics physicist, yeah, he says that because you can't describe an atom without mathematics. Basically, yeah. the most fundamental description of an atom uses mathematics. Yeah. And there's no way to do it without that. He no. said, so, so that's the most fundamental description of our reality, you know, the stuff that makes yeah. up our bodies. Yeah. Effectively, its most fundamental description is mathematical. Therefore, the universe is effectively, is mathematics. It's, it's, it has no intrinsic properties except mathematical properties. Yeah. So he would be like, you know, the, maybe not the high priest, but he'd be, you know, he'd be quite up there. He's, he's up there. Roger Penrose is the high priest. Like, can yeah, we just agree on that right yeah, now? Yeah, we probably can, yeah. Yeah. So, 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 you know, you can really see how all this stuff excites mathematicians. quite. Easy. And it's like, you know, there's so much to dig into. In the same way that I think, you know, you would dig into theology and, mm. and sort of try and make sense of, you know, Buddhist scriptures or anything else. You know, it's like there's just a richness in there that kind of makes you think about your existence and why you exist and what you're made of and, and how you and, achieve and, fulfillment. And, and the ultimate goal of maths and all of the world's religions is just trying to explain the world. Exactly. They're both doing the same thing yeah. in very, very different ways. Yeah. It just happens that I sort of, yeah, like I believe in maths... And I don't believe in the other religions. You're a believer. Yeah, I think so. Okay, time for a quick break. When we get back, we'll be discussing why every civilization has maths at its core, whether maths can become a religious obsession, and giving an answer, hopefully, to today's question Is maths actually the best religion? A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And we're back. So I am I am a believer in maths and the sort of intrinsic nature of, of maths, I think. Um, Welcome to my cult. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's, <laughs> great, it's great to be here, actually. Um, but, but, I mean, people have been sort of obsessing over this stuff forever, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, the, like I said, the, the ancient Greeks are, like, absolutely into this completely. Um, but I don't think people in the modern era are any less into it in some ways. So, you know, so like I said about Marcus Dusoto, he says it, like, it just gives him a buzz when he sort of discovers a truth. Um, there was a, a guy called George Cantor who did all the work on Infinity, and I'm obsessively and basically, you know, nobody would nobody would believe him when he said, you know, there's lots of different kinds of infinity. And mm. and uh, he ended up having a series of breakdowns because he just got so <laughs> unlucky, so fed up with his colleagues, really. It wasn't it wasn't that classic sort of mathematical. Oh, he's a genius. Therefore, he must be mad. It was just like his, his colleagues literally drove him mad. Um, but then there was John Nash, who really was um, mentally unstable mm. and um, and obviously you see in the film, the beautiful mind is sort of, you know, he math takes him down that rabbit hole and, and his mind takes him down that rabbit hole and he gets sort of enmeshed in lots of stuff. So did I ever tell you what I met him late in his life? John Nash? Yeah, yeah. Did you? Yeah. I interviewed him for new scientist. And? Yeah. And he was, he was like a man who'd been through electroshock therapy. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, he had an extraordinary mind. Uh, yeah. Amazing. And he it did. Um, so when we talk about like what, maths has done for civilization. we'll talk about the Nash equilibrium because I think we're all here because of his work. Uh, but yeah, so, um, and then there's John Napier who invented logarithms, took him 20 really? years. I'm ashamed to say I've never heard of him. Oh, really? Yeah. Took him 20 years so he created the, the first book of logarithms, uh-huh, effectively, uh-huh. which is just a way of turning multiplications into additions yeah. and divisions into subtractions. So it made maths easier for astronomers. Yeah. But like, you know, this kind of obsessive sort of, I'm going to do this work, I'm going to dig into this. I feel like these people are like mathematical saints in a way. They're like, you know, the people who, you know, yeah. we, we sort of talk about, you know, the, all these saints from Christian history where they, they were like obsessive or they had visions or they, you know, they did these amazing bits of work. Uh, there's a guy called Paul Erdos who worked, um, he only died in 96 actually. So quite modern, but he worked 19 hour days, uh, mostly on amphetamines. 
Sure. <laughs> Basically carried on doing that. He died at 83. He was still like taking amphetamines right at the end. Um, but he massively celebrated him as a mathematician. He just, like, all he did was maths. And now mathematicians, like, calculate their Erdos number Basically, which is like, have I ever collaborated with somebody who collaborated with Erdos? And it's sort of, you know, it's 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 flagged as a kind of way of calculating how much mathematicians collaborate. But I think there is a sense of like, you know, oh, are you related to John the Baptist who baptized yeah, yeah. Jesus I'm, kind I'm of thing? Yeah. yeah, it's sort of mm. being in that club. And if you've got an Erdos number of one, uh, no, I think it's one, you, you collaborated with him directly, and then mm. two, you collaborated with a collaborator kind of thing. So so they like this kind of thing, the mathematicians. You know, they're, they're quite into that. And you've got people who, like Andrew Wiles, solved Fermat's last theorem. Yeah. Seven years, locked away doing it, didn't tell anyone yeah. what he was working on. Um, then so you, didn't then, he get it wrong? Yeah, he, like got it wrong. he came out, was like, I've, I've, I've cracked it. And then someone was like, you haven't. Yeah. He's like, okay, I'll go back in. To, to be fair, it only took him a year to fix the, the problem. <laughs> but, yeah. a year though, <laughs> fuck. So that's funny because that's, that's like eight years. And uh, I looked up, like Buddhists believe that uh, Gautama found enlightenment while meditating under a Bodhi tree for, I think it was six years. Yeah, there you go. So you've got, slightly you've got harder than Buddhism yeah. to come up with. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus only did 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. So, absolutely, you know, absolutely, what I'm absolutely. saying is Andrew Wiles is right up there. Mm. Um, Grigory Perlman uh, solved the Poincaré conjecture, mm. one of the massive outstanding problems, uh, was awarded a million dollars for doing it, turned it down. Yeah, that's such a baller move. Isn't it? Just to be like, no, no, the, the satisfaction is enough. <laughs> that makes him a saint. You know, yeah, in, yeah. In, in, in yeah. Any other religion, that's, that's sainthood right there. Yeah. Isn't yeah. it? So what I'm saying is, you know, we, we've got our saints, we've got our awe and wonder, mm. you know, we've got our, our mystical sort of ways of describing the universe. Does it guide you, though, maths? Sort I of. I suppose it sort of. I mean, listen, we're not doing very much without maths, are we? Nothing at all. So, so the whole of civilization, and this is this is what my book started from. Is like there's nothing in civilization that doesn't rely on maths. No, right. And there's no civilization that didn't use maths. There are there have been civilizations that didn't use writing, but the Incas. So the Incas didn't write, but they used maths and they tied knots in strings and they had a civil servant who would go around the country with these knotted strings, sort of adding up like you know all the all the the taxes that were owed mm. and stuff like that. So. Um, so like, like agriculture and, and stuff agriculture, massively yeah, required maths. Yeah, yeah. Or at least if you're going to start trying to optimise stuff. Yeah, and, and if you wanted to tax people who were farming fields as well, you work out the um, the amount of tax they owed using the quadratic formula. That's what the yeah. Babylonians did. They came up with the you know minus B plus or minus the square root of B squared minus 4AC all over 2A as a way of like working out how much tax people owed on their fields. But you don't learn that in school, do you? So... But no, I, mean, I, I don't you, think people like it more when you're like, this. I know it seems hard, but it's actually the tax man's equation. But I mean, I mentioned John Nash and his sort of the Nash equilibrium is a thing from linear algebra mm -hmm. that basically tells you, OK, you haven't got what you want, but your enemy also hasn't got what they want. And but there's no way of making either of your situations any better. So you just sit with that. There's your record. And that's your Cold yeah. War sort of nuclear missiles. Yeah calculus basically there and you know that was so important that the people who were using game theory to kind of the mathematicians in 1971 they met up with their counterparts in across the iron curtain and to compare things and make sure they'd worked it all out correctly using the same sort of you know assumptions and, and baselines so they were allowed to meet because it was considered so important that they get their sums right 
for the you know basically the peace to continue to exist. That's great, isn't it? So it's amazing, an amazing sort of thing, you know. And then you you know you get architecture like the Hagia Sophia was built by two mathematicians, one of the wonders of the world, and they designed it using maths, you know, using understandings of of pi, and how you translate that you know that into a dome structure and embed that in a in a half cube, which is basically you know what that beautiful dome is all about. Um, like we've said, imaginary numbers are like the whole basis of Silicon Valley is imaginary numbers. Mm-hmm. So that that was built by um, and on uh, Bill Hewlett's master's thesis of Hewlett Packard. Mm. It was just like built on oscillator on imaginary numbers. You, you know, and they're there in the appendix of his master's thesis. It's like this sort of series of equations using imaginary numbers, and they used that to build their first sort of piece of equipment that they sold. They called it the HP two hundred A. So they didn't sound like the first thing they'd built. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've been doing this for ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah. So they set up you in... You see 198B. <laughs> <laughs> they set up in, in Packard's garage in, in uh, California, and that was the first electronics thing. And then other people started you know, building next door and still working. So Silicon Valley is built on maths. So all I'm saying is, you know, you, our whole civilization is built on maths. Yeah. And, um, and we should start to worship it. Well, maybe not worship it, but, you know. So, because I'm looking through it and thinking, it's, I mean, it does have all of the features, really. I think so. Arguably, without some of the negative stuff. Yeah, like nobody's killing anyone. No, not 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 really. Re- well, well, there I was you... there was a guy, um, Nicolo Tartaglia, who worked out the algebra for artillery, like what al- what angle to put your cannon at. That's. Well, I to was get thinking, the right range, weaponry, yeah, <laughs> yeah has an massive, yeah, 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 yeah. And he, once he realised that it was going to, his maths was going to be used for killing people, he burned all his notes. So that's yeah. you know that's quite a good and, sign. And that's isn't how it? we've ended up in a world with no weapons. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank <laughs> to be you. to be honest, then the crusade started, and the guy who was paying him said, "I'm going to need that." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to write it all out again. Yeah, that that stuff you burn, not that's not going to cut it. That page you haven't I? So, <laughs> so maybe the only thing is it doesn't tell us how to live, but maybe it sort of says you know it doesn't matter how you live, live how you think, because you're just made of maths. Just made of maths. That's a nice way to end. Um, I don't think. You're going to get charitable status for your mascot. Um, oh God, like the Jedi's. The Jedi's didn't but, get it either. But I'm in. I'm absolutely in. Uh, so, well, we'll answer this week's question. Is mass the best religion? Yes. Yeah, I'll give you that. Good. Yeah, no, 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 no real argument, I don't think. And if I was going to sign up to a religion, maths, I think, has probably got the best chance. All is number. Yeah. It's such a good... I'd never heard that before. It's such a good slogan. It's quite creepy. Yeah. What are we going to wear? <laughs> I feel like it's flowing. Beige. It's got to be flowing robes. <laughs> have you ever it? been to a maths department? Yeah, I have. Yeah. You're yeah. going to be wearing beige, So much. Yeah, and a bit of, um, well, a bit of cord. Polyester slacks. Yeah. <laughs> Eureka is a stack production presented by Dr. Michael Brooks and Rick Edwards. The production team is Temi Adebayo, Katie Baxter, Luke Moore and Charlie Morgan. Sound designed by Katie Baxter. Please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It does make a massive difference. We also really love hearing from you guys. So if you have any burning questions you want us to answer, drop us an email at eureka at stack.london or you can find us as always on Twitter at EurekaPod. 
Eureka is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.